welcome to the Web Policy Talk podcast recorded live at the Impact and Policy Research Institute Impri New Delhi Namaste and greetings I am Mahima Kapoor researcher and assistant editor at Impri Impact and Policy Research Institute, Prabhav Evam Nitin Sandhan Sansthan, New Delhi. Welcome you all to the Impri hashtag Web Policy Talk. Images from the migrant exodus in March 2020 remain etched in our minds and have reignited the discourse towards planned, organized, and sustainable urbanization and urban governance. In that light, we have gathered for talk on governing cities. the missing links by professor amita bide under the series the state of cities hashtag city conversations this deliberation is being organized by the impri center for habitat urban and regional studies i feel honored to introduce the moderator dr samyadeep mm-hmm. chatopadhyay sir is an associate professor viswabharti santi niketan and a visiting senior fellow at impri new delhi Welcome, sir. I feel privileged to introduce the speaker, Professor Amita Bire. Ma'am is currently a dean and professor in the School of Habitat Studies, Tata Institute of Social Sciences, Mumbai. She has been deeply involved in studying issues related to urban poor communities, community organization, and housing rights movements, and advocacy groups. Her recent work at the school. has been on issues of urban development in particular those concerning urban transformations and their link to inclusive and sustainable development she has extensively researched urban local governance and planning water and sanitation housing and land issues she attempts to develop a theoretical and action model of urbanization that is relevant for the global south through an engagement with several transformative groups at the city provincial and national scales her recent publications include informal settlements the emerging response to covid and the imperative of changing the narrative everyday violence everyday life and bottom up peace building initiatives by urban poor in mumbai and colonizing the slum welcome mom thank you so much mahima and thank thanks you. to impri for hosting uh, this talk uh, i really look forward to uh, this talk in some ways which is uh, really like a experiment in the making i hope uh, ma'am if i could uh, apologies for interrupting if i could also introduce the panelist uh, sure, the discussants sure. go ahead thank you ma'am you are fortunate to have mr vinay bendu mr matthew edikala and mr samir unhale as discussants for the session mr vinay is a researcher and activist focusing on urban reforms governance water reforms and policy welcome sir mr matthew is an independent legal and policy consultant and visiting faculty school of policy and governance azim premji university bengaluru welcome sir thank you thank you and mr samir is the joint commissioner department of municipal administration government of maharashtra welcome sir 
Now I invite Dr. Chattopadhyay to take the preceding swada and we look forward to learning from our esteemed gathering. Thank you. I think Sir's connection just worked out. So let me invite uh, Amita ma'am for her le uh, lecture, but I think Swamya Deep Sir is connected. Can you hear us, Swamya Deep Sir? Yes, Swamya Deep Sir, can you hear us? Okay, let me invite uh, Professor Bhide to start with uh, her lecture. Yes, I'll bring uh, yes. Okay, please go ahead, Samadip sir. Can you hear me? We can hear you, yes. Yes, sir. Yes, uh, sorry, because I just asked uh, some internet issues because I am joining today from Shantaniketan. So uh, anyway, uh, Namaskar and good evening to all of you on behalf of uh, Center for the Habitat Region, uh, Urban and Regional Studies at IMPRI. I welcome all this uh, city conversation series. And today's uh, topic is very interesting uh, because uh, uh, we know that the municipal government in India have uh, found to be historically weak in nature and serious infrastructural deficits and uh, basic service delivery gaps uh, make these cities uninhabitable and also undermine uh, their potential as engines of economic growth. And we have experimented with uh, decentralization to improve uh, government performances through uh, local accountability, improvement in local accountability. And also a series of urban reforms have been initiated uh, to enhance the financial autonomy of the municipalities. There has been emphasis on uh, private of the urban services through private partnership, urban development programs like uh, JNNURM and Smart Cities Mission, they have made the allocation of grants conditional on adhering to a set of financial and governance reforms, incorporating these concepts. And also uh, the neighborhood associations, the uh, resident welfare associations, the CBOs, NGOs, uh, they have emerged as the new actors in governance arrangements, and uh, they have been included uh, to promote uh, greater efficiency uh, in the in the functioning of the institutions of governance. So essentially, urban governance in India includes a whole range of actors and institutions with different mandates, different abilities, uh, even different visions for cities. Now, disparate formal and, and informal processes and mechanism of governance could exist. Now, all these changes uh, are complex form of in ways it is developed and the Indian cities are governed through those formal and informal processes and mechanisms and quite naturally much deeper evaluations in terms of their wider implications for urban development required. And today we are fortunate to have with us Professor Amita Vidya and also Mr. Vindur, Mr. Sinhale and Dr. Matthew Dikula to sort of uh, deep dive into these complexities of governing cities in India. So with this, let me 
uh, formally invite uh, uh, Professor Amita Pide to uh, give her uh, presentation, to give her lecture. So it's over to you, ma'am. Thank you, Dr. Chattopadhyay, and thanks to Indri for hosting this talk. Uh, actually, the purpose of this talk is really a provocation. Uh, and uh, I think uh, we have been lamenting the non-implementation of the 74th Constitutional Amendment for a very long time. Uh, and I think that uh, over the last uh, 30 odd years, roughly, uh, uh, of the uh, passage of the 74th Constitutional Amendment, there is much water which has flown under the bridge. And uh, therefore, we need to actually address many of the contemporary complexities which have been added uh, to the governing of cities. And uh, from that point of view, therefore, thinking about various dimensions of uh, change in urban governance. In so doing, I want to also locate the 74th Constitutional Amendment in the uh, wider context of emerging patterns of urbanization and what it means to govern cities. Uh, we'll go to the next slide uh, straight away. Okay, so as I said, this is something which is really, I feel that uh, contemporary municipal governments or city governments are really uh, seen on one hand, one is constantly talking about this non-implementation of the 74th CA. But on the other hand, there are many other changes which are happening on the urban governance template. And uh, city governments are really reeling under those conflicting sometimes pressures, multiple pressures. Um, and we are also talking of a governance where there are new issues which are emerging. And many a times the links between the old and the new, and even within the new, uh, uh, between the higher and the lower and the actual state of institutions to uh, issues which are outside are often not made. So I hope to uh, perhaps at least uh, bring about these missing links for the purpose of this uh, August audience. And hopefully we should take it up from there. Next slide, please. So the 74th constitutional amendment, I don't think I have to reiterate the promise which was made by this 74th CA. The purpose of this slide is to not reiterate all the content of the 74th uh, CA, but really in terms of what it assured us. So one, that it was a assurance of a more democratic and representative governance, especially for urban governments which had to be rescued from a colonial legacy of being restricted to only the ratepayers or official citizenry of the uh, cities and to take them towards more democratic governance, which would be uh, responsive to all sections of who lived in a city. The second promise, which is also very, very critical is basically the promise of devolution and empowered and proximate government. It's institution of ward committees, it's uh, 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 
introduction of the principle of bringing uh, representatives of non-governmental organization and civil society organizations into governance also promised to change the texture of governance and bring it more closer to people. Uh, because otherwise, till then, we have only been obsessed with Gram Sabhas and decentralization in rural areas, but never about what happens in cities. The third thing is that the 74 CA tried to bring in new agendas into urban local governance, especially on the inclusion side and also on environmental consciousness. Uh, and uh, I will again, as I said, not get into the details of all of this. And in short, it really tried to create a third tier of government in cities and towns. Uh, next, please. Uh, but already, I mean, the 74th CAA was passed in 1993, uh, 1992, and then states passed it by 93, 94. Already in the next 10 years, one sees that changes in the script of uh, 74th CAA started happening. So on one hand, outwardly, the JNMURM made the implementation of 74th CA as a conditionality. Okay? But I'm going to argue basically that uh, 74th CA also added and modified the script of governance, which was given by the 74th CA. Uh, two examples here are in terms of looking at the community participation law, its envisagement of area sabhas, and what was to be done by area sabhas, which is a completely different model of participation rather than the one which was seen by the 74th constitutional amendment. Uh, the public disclosure law, which talked about uh, disclosures of financial and other performance documents, uh, insisting on a transparency, something which one can see as conducive to participation in a voluntary kind of way, but only technically in some ways, right? Uh, because as uh, some of my friends, uh, even in the economics department of the Mumbai Municipal Corporation like to say, it is one thing to keep the Mumbai Municipal Corporation budget in the public domain, but even as economists, they have not been able to decipher what the Mumbai Municipal Corporation budget really means. Uh, so that's another thing altogether. Uh, the 74th CA also disrupted the uh, overall script of the 74th CA by creating a very different model of financing and uh, uh, project financing also based on debt financing, um, introducing also a way in which city governments were pushed into a distinct relationship with state governments and the central government, which was full of reforms, their conditionalities, uh, overall directionality, which was given by the state governments. And in some ways, it also strengthened the role for consultants who had by then started creeping into the overall machinery of uh, municipal agencies. Next. Now, if 74th Amendment brought in these changes, we see that smart cities, even though it is a program meant for only 100 cities in the country, 
also added another script, uh, another deviation into the overall script of uh, uh, governance. And this is something which is also then happening in the cities which are not part of smart cities, but slowly also changing. So number one, again, as has now become the practice, every urban mission or every urban program begins with this lip service, which is given to 74th CAA has to be implemented. So smart cities also begins with that. Okay? But at the same time, it begins to also undermine it. In fact, it creates a special purpose vehicle for city governance, even as part of the smart city. So uh, if one is talking about democracy, uh, citizen link participation, the SPV is like a corporatized model of governance which takes uh, things into really like the chattered governments which were tried with in Canada at one point in time. So it's a different model of governance. And clearly it led to the tussles between the political and the corporate forms in many different places, including in Maharashtra, for example, where some cities initially rejected being part of smart cities, then uh, the political wing also tried to insinuate itself within the SPV. And even now in municipal corporations like the Thane municipal corporations, one is seeing a ongoing tussle between the political wing and the uh, SPV uh, and Thane. Uh, the smart city mission has further entrenched the role of consultants who are now very much into the mainstream of city governance in several places. Uh, so in not just as part of advisors and the preparation of projects, but also now as people who could execute, who hold a very important links to city governance in the form of data, data management. They are the ones who are uh, often operating and creating the command and control centers and very, very important continuities of projects which are all being done by consultants. So the consultant regime in many ways is fully entrenched into the municipal institution, uh, which is contemporary. Next, please. And we look at Swachh Bharat, which introduces another very quality extension of the uh, jhadu pocha functioning of the principal institutions. But on the other hand, what it does is that the manner in which swachhata is assessed is something which is very different because now there are these surveillance, the city surveys in which citizen opinion polls uh, are being conducted in order to rank cities even the overall mechanism of ranking, which was initiated by JNURM in a very, very small manner. And at that time, the ranking was more on credit ranking. But here now, cities are being ranked on a variety of indices. And one should keep in mind how cleanest cities are being seen, how the liveability city index is being created the management of these surveys 
creating new kinds of reports uh, all of this is again giving a qualitative change to the nature of expectations and the style of governance which has now become much more mediated how does one become media savvy how does one present reports how does one gloss over data and uh, create data in some ways next please Uh, so with this now, I will go to also uh, examination, just as we have examined till now, how government policy itself has actually paid only lip service to the all the tenets of the 74th constitutional amendment. There are some agendas which I think were well instituted by the 74th constitution amendment like one of the successes that we all recognize is that of regular elections one mostly more or less regular i should say uh, in most of the states uh, a creation of a uniform template of urban governance and their nomenclatures and where they should be instituted uh, a third is in terms of giving representation to several uh, vulnerable sections and the most important of these would i would say is of engendering governance because several municipal institutions did have provisions for uh, the reservation of scheduled caste scheduled tribes but very few or they only had like nominated women members but on the other hand the 74th constitutional amendment talked about 33 percent reservation for women uh, in all reservations and across even leadership positions and mandatory reservation also in all the important decision-making committees of the municipal institutions. So interestingly, the story of engendering has been moved forward in some ways by uh, several states. So today, uh, about 14 states in India have 50% reservation. So they have gone beyond the 33% reservation, which was mandated by the 74th constitutional amendment. But on the other hand, there are also states which have simultaneously instituted practices, which also generate barriers for women representatives. So for example, in Maharashtra, uh, in all urban local bodies, except Mumbai, there is a parallel initiation of a system of multi-member wards. Okay? Uh, and it is our hypothesis, I would say, just now more born out of observation rather than a very deep study, which one of my PhD students is also engaging with. But our hypothesis and our observation is really that a system of multi-member wards uh, discourages independent women members from participating in municipal elections and instead encourages uh, dynastic politics and women representatives to come up only through their affiliations or rather I would say uh, biological affiliations or uh, relational affiliations with uh, political dynasts, husbands, father-in-laws, daughter, son kind of thing. So this is something which one needs to think of as what are 
to be doing even with the structures of representation not just talk about ward committees and so on next so the story of representation and participation i see uh, matthew here also katya and me so i really hope for also feedback here okay and i think that representation participation has been given extremely new twist uh, by several contemporary developments and these require much deeper thoughts right so at one level when it comes to ward committees even now we still face issues of institution of ward committees in all the cities in which they were able uh, they were supposed to be established all cities about relax etc uh, there are issues again in several states about who is actually inducted in the name of non governmental members and what is the genuinity of that representation the conduct of meetings of ward committees is again another aspect and the fourth issue which is also emerging is also the politicization of the forum and whether i think most importantly raising also the issue of whether ward committees are only supposed to get a share of the governance saying that you can pass proposals up to so and so and whereas not be involved in the larger conduct of affair that is a completely missing link is the ward budget prepared through a consultation with the ward committees and goes with their recommendation to the standing committee and the general body of the municipal institution a question to be asked area sabhas which were introduced by the jnnurf we have 12 states which passed the legislation because it was again a conditionality to the uh, to availing of the jnnurf funds but only two states have formed the rules for area sabhas and of course the actual conduct of area sabhas remains another story altogether whether area sabhas if properly instituted would actually be participatory in nature that would be a separate question and not even going there okay so at one level one sees that state governments overall there has been a tremendous resistance to instituting participation practices but on the other hand there are other things and other participatory practices which have moved ahead and what are these and that is something that we have to carefully see so for example to be selected as a smart city one of the very important parameters for uh, selection was supposed to be the weightage which was given to participation participation and consultation in the proposals for smart cities but what was the form of that participation if we start looking at the different practices of smart cities one will come across things like essay competitions drawing competitions signature campaigns polls elocution competitions hackathons and so on so forth a very different form of participation which is time specific which is idea specific which does not carry forth and has no other instituted significance thereafter and there is no accountability which is linked to that participation 
The second is the form of participation, which is envisaged in the Swachh Bharat Abhiyan. Uh, and that is again something which we already discussed, so I will not discuss it again. But my question is, are there us today participation being envisaged in, as a much more individual, opinion-based, mediated participation than a collective, engaged, deliberative form of participation? And whether that is something that bears thinking. Is this the second form of participation can be done and is managed also at a hands-off distance, usually by consultants who pool all of this together. So without the municipal institution being touched or dirtied in any way, very sanitized forms of participation. Next. We will now go to questions of functional domains. And here, I think, even the census 2011 itself shows us many, many new patterns and throws up new questions. Uh, so one is in terms of metro authorities. If we look at throughout the country today, there are about 59 different uh, urban development authorities which have been created in the country. Now, these are all authorities which are created for overlapping functions, um, many functions which are also performed by municipal institutions, or there are shared functions which are also envisaged. Now, this is an important question as uh, we are seeing the in the census 2011, many, many uh, extended urban developments. So you have uh, uh, city extensions or outgrowths and there are sometimes uh, urban developments which are going beyond the boundaries which are laid down for cities into perhaps neighboring states, neighboring cities, or neighboring villages, right? So therefore, these issues of regional or metro governance are going to become very critical. The 74th CA saw this more as a form of, again, having elected bodies and forming regional institutions. Again, something which has really not been implemented. Uh, what we have seen emerging within the country, and if one peruses the structures and the designs of these 59 different institutions, what do we see? A, that you have often multiple institutions for even the same or even similar kinds of functions. And most of these parastatals, even though they are operating in the same arena of the city, okay, they lack complete accountability to citizens. How does one make sense of this issue? How does one respond to these issues? What are the different models which are emerging in order to respond to this issue? One model is, of course, something that uh, Matthew and other colleagues in Bangalore have experimented with, which is the form of the new uh, legislation which they have been successful in instituting and which is of making uh, all parastatals in some ways accountable to the uh, municipal institution. But would this model suffice where uh, the overall city extensions uh, also cover 
multiple states uh would this be successful when there is a different district which surround a city and there are two different district authorities which are also involved so one needs to think through some of these issues or should one follow a maharashtra model which is i think very uh, again thought provoking or even critical to understand like in mumbai as a city today there are at least four government institutions which have given been given the powers of executing slum redevelopment projects okay uh, how accountability is generated through all of these what is the convergence which is created in all of this over infrastructure over resources uh, i think is another matter altogether leave alone also the question of democracy within these institutions next please now within functional domains there are still other developments uh, two things that i or rather three agendas which have emerged in the recent past one is climate action plans and which if one looks at niti aayog documents the kind of imperatives which are emerging that the localization and having local climate action plans is extremely critical now would municipal institutions be ideating conceptualizing these plans but environmental agencies are all at a state level or at a central level there is other than preparing the environmental status report uh, often you will have hardly any resources capacities at the municipal level to even think of this a similar ideational kind of a role is also seen for sdgs the sustainable development goals which are also expected to be localized how does one localize sdgs through municipal institutions whose ideational capacity uh, we have not developed at all and the third imperative which is emerging in the form of what we saw very recently in the pandemic where i think uh, i'm drawing a very broad and maybe a provocative generalization but i would see that most cities were unable to effectively cope with the pandemic and it brought into question many other things definitely the area of an inclusion but most importantly also the nature of health infrastructure which is again a concurrent subject shared between the center the state and uh, municipal authorities seem to have very little to do with health within the city we also see in the functional domains that uh, a subsequent to the 74th constitutional amendment there are many more inclusionary functions and which have been added to the uh, principal bodies without any change to the substance of municipal law for example the there is a national street vendor act which was passed in 2014 but on the other hand if we see the and compare it with provisions in municipal law this law coexists with the provisions in municipal law which also treats street vendors as a nuisance so on one hand one is supposed to provide uh, facilities and town vending zones uh, uh, as part of the street vending bill 
conduct a participatory and form a town vending committee. But on the other hand, this coexists with also the raids or what often many street vendors in Mumbai call as the chor gadis and the chor raids, which are conducted by the municipal institutions uh, and calling them a nuisance. We also see that many of these inclusionary functions have even prior to the 74th CA, but even post that, largely been contingent uh, on schemes, usually centrally funded schemes. And uh, within these centrally funded schemes, the delivery structures are never continuous. They have kept on shifting and changing. Uh, and uh, there is therefore even a discontinuity which is seen in delivery structures. And one sees that at a primary level, most cities, perhaps other than cities in Kerala, lack a primary level service delivery structure. It is a very, very big world, whether it is in the area of health, whether it is in the area of welfare or poverty redressal or anything. Uh, the complete absence of a primary level service delivery structure. In the municipal institutions, one will find cadres and primary level services structures which are well instituted for things like uh, tax assessment and uh, collection. One will find good service delivery structures or something which is instituted and which is now being reformed uh, for waste management, etc., which have been right from the beginning um, core functions of the principal institutions. But for all of these added on functions, there are no primary level structures which are in place and well instituted. And this brings us to a new question. He really should municipal bodies be the implementing agencies in urban areas? If so, that requires a different kind of a conceptualization of resources, capacities, powers, or are they local democracies with freedom to set the agendas, to imagine agendas, and that requires a different kind of setup of resources, powers, and capacities. Next. Uh, the models of financing. I'll just raise two other issues and then I'm going to stop. So when it comes to financing, the overall model, which was uh, uh, envisaged in the colonial period, was really that you have a city or a, a municipal institution which comprises taxpaying citizens as the electorate and the municipal agencies, which are the service providers. So there is a balance in this. Okay? Uh, this was, of course, disrupted by electoral democracy in the post-colonial period. Uh, in some ways, the 74th Constitutional Amendment and the JNURM tried to uh, reinstate this kind of a model of uh, tax-paying citizens, expanding the property tax, collections, et cetera, et cetera, and accordingly strengthening the services by the municipal bodies. Uh, on the other hand, post that, we have had the GST, we have had the withdrawal of Octroy. Uh, we also see the withdrawal or even shrinking of property tax which is happening in several cities, 
and in states. So Rajasthan has completely withdrawn the property tax. We also see, for example, Maharashtra, which has already declared a full concession uh, and uh, freedom from property taxes for all houses below 500 square feet in Mumbai. And this promises to now extend into all the neighboring cities in MMRDA and perhaps the rest of Maharashtra as well. So is there a new model that one is envisaging? Uh, where, and if one looks at the record of SFCs, the State Finance Commission, then their ability to give non-tied incomes, guaranteed incomes, which will come in time to the municipal agencies has also been very, very variable. So what does this mean? That municipal institutions are going to completely or depend more and more on state governments? Or will central finance commissions now give an independent provision to the uh, urban local governments? And definitely, I think the financing model has a very clear relationship to the kind of institutional design. Uh, would they be service delivery or implementing agencies? Would they be local democracies with the agency and voice? Next. Another very frequently talked about issue, capacity hai. Municipal institutions ke pass capacity nahi hai. Okay? But my question is, ye capacity kya bala hai? What is it? Capacity for, and I think there is a complete non-clarity about what is the capacity for. The assumption also is that they lack capacity, as in municipal institutions lack capacity, but capacity exists outside in the environment. Uh, so consultants have capacity, do they? Parastatals have capacity, do they? State government departments, which are supposed to be the higher levels of government, municipal administration or what are called general administration departments sometimes, the urban development departments, mindless use and mindless GRs about what is happening to the ecology of the city. They have the capacity. Uh, how is capacity developed? A second issue, very important one. Because to my mind, capacity really depends on clarity of role, powers and responsibility. And it is often uh, developed by doing things. Okay? It is not just a function of training and appointing another set of consultants to train. Okay? I think first, these initial issues of capacity for what? The capacity of higher level governments and associated ecologies, that needs to be developed along with the capacity of municipal institutions and a clarity of rules. Next. So if we look at the present state of municipal institutions, one is really seeing multiple templates which are in operation. One of corporatization, one of efficiency through which the previously existing structures are being hollowed out. A third of them as imaginating bodies setting new agendas. Another agenda, another template of them being institutions which do service delivery to the last mile. And uh, actually functioning and existing agenda that we also see operating on ground is that municipal institutions often become the support base 
for parallel informal and land based economies which are existing in all our cities large and small and finally also another unwritten agenda which is also happening like this uh, second last one which is that municipal institutions actually generate resources for state institutions as cities become bigger and bigger uh, not in a formal manner alone but increasingly state institutions are dependent on cities they draw revenues from these areas uh, but not uh, actually uh, uh, empower the city governments for actually collecting and utilization of those revenues so there is a design for disempowerment in some ways next so is it possible to return to the 74th constitutional amendment or is it impossible we will engage with this question and in the last once or two slides max next please uh, so many questions here okay, do we need a rethink on our template what does proximity mean what are the good scales and efficiency of service provision uh, is the size of our particular different city governments is that appropriate for that do we need multiple small city governments something that delhi has done uh as that or one large one with two tiers within uh how does one link some of these questions to taxation and revenue how does one create a link to the institutions which have technical capacity how many numbers of peers to the local government what should be the nature of local democracy how is that link to responsible governance accountability structures all of these dimensions we really need to rethink and create a more cohesive uh, template which is taking into account contemporary realities uh, next slide please so some things i think we have to just institute uh as important and these are just thoughts so one should really uh, give a good feedback on all of this okay local democracy is definitely definitely important and proximacy is also necessary and it is possible as well but the connection of the proximate levels of governance needs to be clearly clarified to the institutional hierarchy uh and i put down some questions there one should also think of how there should be a clear space for participation in some of the regular processes of municipal uh, decision making whether it is in budgets whether in it is in critical decision making uh, how does one build the links to metro scale uh, we should definitely not have a rethink about reservations or regular elections but we need to think about how does one make gendered representation or other forms of representation more effective and the last slide please we clearly also need a primary service delivery structure which goes beyond the sanitation and engineering functions which means for the softer infrastructure health education welfare but we don't have structures for that and those structures are important whether we envisage 
principal institutions as service delivery institutions or local democratic institutions. There is also no doubt that we have never thought about mid-management. Uh, so we have these IS kind of categories, which is top level management, uh, but there has never been a thinking about what are the capacities required at a mid-level? How does recruitment happen there? How does plagiarization happen there? Especially from point of view of economy, environment, equity. How does one strengthen that? And finally, if one brings a stress on localization, then there have to be much more wider processes of how does one draw in from a broader economy and not just a broader society, sorry, city society and resources and not just rely on consultants. Thank you. I'm going to stop here. Thank you. I'm just, uh, thank you for your very interesting talk. Unfortunately, I missed some portion of your, uh, of your talk. So, but uh, some of the ideas are really uh, very, very interesting. Like you started with uh, some of the promises of uh, decentralization, establishing this uh, empowered proximate government and how uh, does this 74 CAA facilitate uh, some of the qualitative changes in the governance and then uh, uh, some of the challenges that this uh, 74th Constitutional Amendment Act and its implementation related issues that you have highlighted. And uh, for example, uh, you talked about the issues of localization of climate action plan and SDGs and how far the local governments are in a position to uh, best uh, uh, to perform some of these tasks because as we know that the basically this decentralization stems from the principle of subsidi subsidiarity, but subsidiarity is not about devolving all the functions to the local government. Rather, it is better to uh, uh, it better to think of some of the functions which can be best performed at the local level and so on and so forth. But again, uh, 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 so uh, with this thing, uh, let me now invite uh, our discussion to carry forward uh, this uh, discussion. So. Uh, 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 let me first invite uh, Dr. Matthew Dikula uh, to share your views or thoughts on this. Hi, uh, hi, hi everyone. Uh, uh, you can hear me? Okay. Yes. Yes. Sir. yes. Okay. Uh, so thanks, uh, thanks for the invitation. Thanks, Impri, for the invitation, and uh, thanks, uh, uh, you know, uh, Amita for the for the talk. I, 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 I mean, uh, honestly, sort of speaking, I found it. Uh, really engaging and it pretty much gave uh, uh, a, a, a long and a sort of broad overview of all the kinds of issues that uh, many of us have been interested in and have been engaging in uh, on issues of uh, urban governance. Uh, I mean, let me just summarize, uh, I mean, just the key uh, question that uh, Amita has posed to all of us. Uh, that is about uh, how do we envision our you know, uh, local governments. I mean, even even the terminology itself is interesting because uh, in in the in in the lexicon of, of the Indian state, it still continues to be ULBs. Uh, not even using the term government. Uh, the ULB is a pre seventy fourth amendment uh, term. So anyway, so let me just still uh, use local government. So how do we envision our local governments? Uh, do we envision them as service delivery or uh, you know implementing implementing agencies? Or do we wish, do we envision them 
as uh, you know local democracies uh, with with it with the freedom to set its own agendas and its own vision. I think that sort of captures the core uh, you know uh, aspects of of Amita's talk, and and I think uh, you know in many ways these these questions keep rising up, uh, you know, uh, in, 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 in obviously it came in the talk, but also in our discussions on, on questions around urban government. So, so uh, looking at the missing links, I mean, I, there are various ways to look at, uh, you know, uh, what, I mean, respond to uh, what Amita has just said, I've taken copious notes. So let me just try to uh, sort of uh, frame it in, in a particular way. So if you look at the missing links that Amita is speaking about, there is this what question, uh, what are the missing links in you know in our governance systems? There is the why question. Uh, why do these mix, missing links exist? There is the what ought to be question. Given these missing links and given the reasons why they exist, what should you know? What ought to be done? And finally, if you know uh, the what ought to be, how do you do it? If this is what ought to be done, how do we do it? So I, I think you know we can we can approach this in in all these four ways, uh, uh, and and Amitabh's talk has many ways laid down uh, much of uh, you know responses to much of these questions. On the what question, I really don't want to spend time because uh, I think pretty much at least uh, the, the the panelists here and I believe some of the attendees here, I think most of us are fairly familiar with the what question about uh, about. What are the missing links that exist? You know, 74th Amendment, lack of implementation, all of that. Uh, you know, the why do these missing links persist is, is an interesting question to examine. Some of it already came in Amanda's talk, but I might, you know, try to push it a bit more. And, and, and the last question about, I mean, last two questions, it's combined question about what ought to be is, is also something that I'd like to take up. On, on just the what broad what question, uh, there were a couple of interesting insights and then we can make connections with uh, you know why uh, the why question uh, if if we just reflect on it. some of i mean beyond the, the topics are often the, the the stuff that we have worked on so but some new insights that i really found interesting is about uh, the colonial uh, the antecedents of the colonial uh, you know governance continuing so interestingly in in colonial times the city governments did exist and some of our uh, great freedom fighters were all municipal councillors from Nehru, Patel, Bose, they were either mayors or councillors. So we have a system there, but it has, I mean, something that I think I, I even I missed on while analyzing is that it, the, the, the nature was a ratepayers or a taxpayers based. So, so one is, are we still, you know, those antecedents continued post-independence or is it being revived, you know, in the recent past? Uh, with some of the tax-based, you know, and finance models. So that's one interesting question. The other is, is the very, you know, the insightful observation that I found was about the nature of participation. I mean, there are many more, but uh, I can't speak about all of them. The nature of participation, what kinds of participation is promoted and what kinds of participation is not promoted. And, and the very fascinating insight about how what committees and all of them have been completely uh, disempowered. Whereas for smart city proposals, certain types of participation, individual-based participation through mobile phones and, you know, opinion polls and all of that versus collective and, you know, uh, uh, group-based participation. So, so I think these are interesting insights that we can reflect on. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, if we engage with these questions, fascinating insights should turn up.
just you know going back to some of the why questions given you know um uh the all the missing links that we 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 see uh one of the questions is uh we have been talking about these missing links i don't know for many years now i mean we have people here in this group who uh who who be had it for more than you know two decades um but why do they persist and i think this is a this is a question that definitely cannot be answered uh you know by by looking at the laws or policies or any of that you it it is definitely a political question and 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 here is here is this interesting insight that we need to reflect on that is let us take the case of representation widening representation the engendering point that amita spoke about uh why is it that states are going beyond the 74th amendment the 74th amendment requires only 33% reservation for women hmm? and 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 that's a mandate but 14 states have gone beyond it and are and are mandating 50% so it's a progressive measure which is going even beyond 74th amendment requirement whereas the base requirements of 74th amendments like constituting what committees and mpcs and all of them are not being done so we need to understand what are the incentive systems that cause these certain reforms not to be done and 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 certain reforms or, or you know say a, women increasing women's representation is something that i i, I don't think anyone anyone would contest but you know uh, in a in a in a in a purely say you know value based idea but as a practical idea it obviously poses a lot of threats to to local leaders you know discounting of course all the other forms whereby you know uh representation can be done so so why why does this exist and, and and i don't know i mean so i'm just getting back to the question about is it the way the reform is done now we i'm going to spend quite a bit of time on looking at jnnurm and its mandates and 74th constitutional amendment and its mandates the broad question i i would like to raise here is is our top down decentralization you know mechanisms where legislatively or in 74th amendments case constitutionally if you have a top down measure for democratization and participation and you know with all the good ideas uh should you know is is it because of of the very top down nature of of you know of 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 the of these reforms that they are not done and uh, i mean i i, I can conclusively these many of these questions i'm just raising and they are open questions and and so the the fact that some things are being done and some things are not being done helps us sort of rethink about the nature of reform that we might want to institute so so that and and on the why question there are more things but uh, i think i'm running out of time so i'll i'll just not get into the other why questions the last the last bit let me just speak about the what ought sort of question what ought to be done and uh, you know how can it be done now um there is of course some uh, you know uh, uh there are various types of uh, you know reform proposals that have been doing the rounds but uh, i think just connecting it back to the last point that i made um the the question that we need to go uh, ask is after now almost 30 years of the 74 uh should we start looking at other ways in to to sort of take the agenda forward and that is the you know idea of this new template um i i i just uh, sort of uh, you know want to just leave this question about uh, even i think even amitas talked there was some reference to the uniformity that it brought about do we need uniformity 
you know that's one fundamental question 74th amendment in some ways brought uniformity or do we need to allow uh, you know do we need to create systems and processes that allows itself to innovate and come up with new ideas where different states or different cities might come with their own uh, versions of of uh, you know of, of reform and and, uh, and and then they might so so if you look at say federal constitutions say in, in the us some states of some states have cities which are very powerful some states have cities which are medium powerful uh, some some cities can even have in, can you know uh, collect income tax now there is wide variation I, I don't want to take the us case because the context is very different but the point is do we go by the 74th amendment uniformity style or do we actually rethink and think of uh, you know some sort of radical uh, you know decentralization model where different actors as long as certain ground rules and they lay down different actors can uh, come up with uh, different solutions so uh, i mean of course it's 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 a challenging sort of question to examine but there are there are uh, ways in which we could consider when it can be done and when it cannot be done if we do that what are the incentive structures that that need to be looked into how it can be done you know taking learning from how the say 33% became 50% uh, if you have political incentives matching with the other incentives so there are a bunch of questions there but i mean i'll just leave it there i ran out of time so i'll just leave it there because uh, and and take forward uh, the discussion you know with with others thank you thanks uh, thanks amita for the wonderful talk Thanks, thanks, Matthew, for uh, some of the interesting insights that you have presented. And just to add to what uh, Matthew has said, like uh, another way of looking at these why relations to uh, why this answer to find an answer to this why question is to look at the state-local relation. Because at the end of the day, the 74th, the implementation of 74th CA is about uh, two distinct parts. One is lawmaking, another is rulemaking. And there are some very interesting, uh, uh, interesting works which have uh, which are which are coming out. That in, in many states, these lawmakings are generally under the purview of the legislative wing of the state governments, whereas the rulemaking they are performed by the state-level bureaucrats, and through number of say administrative orders, circulars, and so on and so forth. And that is true in a typical <coughs> top-down manner, as Matthew has mentioned, and without taking into account the interest of the local government and their representatives. So it is. Uh, it might be another important uh, important lever to look at the uh, to to the why part of that distinctness. Well, so thank you once again, Matthew, and let me now invite uh, uh, Vinay to come in, chip in and uh, share your feedback. It's over to you, Vinay. Yeah, thanks, uh, Swamya Deep. Uh, thanks to Impri as well as uh, Amita <coughs> Amita for laying out <coughs> um, broadly. Um, almost all the issues regarding the 74th Amendment and and the new concerns which are arising. Uh, so I think um, I would actually like to focus on, I mean, the issue of how this uh, proximity, uh, proximacy that you uh, talked about. Um, <clears throat> if we are looking at um, how government is actually, you know, dealing with the pandemic, the local government had a, I mean, the pandemic, uh, the COVID pandemic, uh, the local government had a fairly large role to play, uh, but it was implementing the public health uh, aspects, the um, uh, uh, series of uh, different government orders, 
at one count uh, sometime in uh, 2020 it was something like 7000 or 9000 orders which different local governments state governments etc had been issuing uh, and i think now <clears throat> almost uh, another year and a half later it will be much more um so the the point which somedeep was also emphasizing about rule making and legislation uh how do you how do we envisage in the future um because of the role that is already being played by local governments uh, now uh, to enhance the role for uh, municipal uh, um um governments to 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 uh, um be involved in legislation now for example i think uh, in the case of bangalore many people will be in, in um, i mean on this uh, um webinar as well uh, knowing about how the state government actually um pushed for uh, as well as maybe even the uh, local government pushed for getting the corporators the main role in appointing ward i mean uh, nominating ward committee members um and there was a fairly uh, more more open process than there was before uh, such a provision was made um so that is to just start with but i think uh, um i mean we need to counter what is happening in terms of uh, um, battle of perception versus reality now there is a battle of perception that uh, was was uh, also dealt with by the local governments uh, in uh, kerala in the state of kerala um i think uh, the only state in india which has the department of local government um, both panchayats and urban together in one under one department uh though there are uh, separate uh, you know urban affairs and panchayat affairs issue, uh, 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 co- co- coordination um, you know um depart i mean uh, sections in the department but i think what we need to look at is how um you know building on existing political arrangements political institutions political uh, organizations and their work uh, and here i highlight um, both uh, the people's planning process as well as the people's resource mapping process um how in 25 years now or 30 uh, 25 plus years now um dealing with the pandemic i think uh, you 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 see there's hardly i mean that um, um organizations uh, like uh, kudumbashri uh, or uh, the women's uh, um um employment as well as women's employment creation um uh, through through covid uh, uh, pandemic as well as uh, uh, you know re- maybe relief work uh, support work uh, supply of resources uh, various kinds of uh, work was taken up by uh, local governments and as well as kudumbashri now uh, i think we need to seriously look at how kerala has played a outlier example role in this uh, when uh, most state governments would uh, plump for uh, like uh, matthew was saying earlier uniformity in their approach 
Kerala has maintained a very uh, more more of an outlier example. Um, so I think there is local democracy <clears throat> to a large extent. There is employment generation. There is uh, um, um, contracts for uh, special uh, um, um, sections of society, uh, disadvantaged sections of society for getting work um, organized. And I think, um, um, I mean, because it is a local government uh, department, um, we'll have to look into it very uh, much more closely. So I think as in the letter and spirit of uh, 74th Amendment, it was the institution of local self-government which was to be established. And if institutions of local self-government have to be um, at the cost of the role of uh, the powers of state governments, then I think that is also uh, to some extent being carried out in, in um, um, Kerala. And I think uh, we need to analyze what, to what extent that has actually happened. I don't really, um, I mean, I'm not really aware of this, but uh, I mean, how much it has uh, um, um, curtailed the powers, uh, but definitely the interference in um, local, uh, local affairs, local government affairs is decreased. Now, uh, this is where I would like to actually point about this. Uh, uh, the one, one is the pandemic, of course, but the other one is an epidemic. And the epidemic which we are dealing with currently and uh, JNNURM and smart cities and other missions uh, are also uh, uh, symptoms of that is the epidemic of centralization. And we have had this epidemic of centralization, uh, especially uh, uh, you know, emphasized and highlighted during the last, uh, during this particular government's uh, regime. So, um, so when, so when you go back, uh, when we go back to uh, 20, I mean, 30 years, actually let us go back a little further and look at the, uh, the you know, we, we um, took the example of America in the case of Matthew, but uh, I would actually like to say where participatory budgeting as well as right to the city comes from, um, I mean, and came from uh, was uh, the Brazil constitution. Um, in 1988, which actually is a three-tire federal structure, three-tire federal structure, which, of course, um, um, gave rise to gave rise to uh, excellent examples about right to the city as well as uh, participatory budgeting. Both of which uh, came from the workers uh, workers party uh, themselves, uh, uh, but it got institutionalized and then probably spread all over uh, Brazil to uh, and, and all over the world, I, I guess, both in terms of right to the city as well as participatory budgeting. But it was not uh, taken up to that extent. It was something which was slightly distant. It was away from us. What did it actually do maybe in, in uh, panchayats? If you see uh, the, um, uh, I think, uh, uh, groups like MKSS and others have set up uh, campaigns uh, uh, similar to, uh, you know, for, for uh, putting accountability as well as uh, um, public hearings uh, uh, and various kinds of uh, mechanisms like social audit, etc. 
um, to increase the demand side of uh, uh, participation, to increase the demand side of uh, uh, rural participation to a larger extent. But I hope um, uh, urban, urban as well. So I think really it is about uh, increasing the demand side and changing perception. If we want a local government, what should that local government be actually doing? And what kind of uh, important uh, functions and important uh, role uh, do we see that local government uh, playing other than local democracy, consultation, participation? So I think uh, we should look at uh, the example of, I mean, I want to quote here, um, um, power to the people, which is the topic of the, which is the title of the book uh, by Professor K.C. Shivaramkrishnan. Uh, I think it came out in 2003 or 2000 something, uh, something like that. But it basically lays out the entire process of the um, uh, 65th Constitution Amendment, which is 1989, uh, August 1989, when it was passed it had uh, city passenger transport, communication, including roads, bridges, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, urban electrification, um, um, urban housing. Um, housing, of course, you can see very clearly uh, without which all these missions are not uh, PMAY or RAY or any other uh, missions earlier, which were centralized, but uh, urban housing, and then I think a couple of others which are very important, like public distribution system. So if you look at the 65th Constitution Amendment, we have 37 different topics, which are now reduced to, in the 12th schedule, they are reduced to 18 topics. And I think we should look at some of them as important to change the perception of what is and what should be, or what role should the local government really have. So. Um, so I think, I mean, I don't know if, uh, 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 you know, I mean, we can do a comparison, but um, if, uh, uh, if this municipal body, municipal local body, urban local body, whatever has to transform into a local government, it has to have this uh, demand side of what we want a municipality to do. And it should be very clear that there, that this will actually mean that the state government's role will decrease and you know uh, it, 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 it has to it, uh, we have to think about that uh, i don't know uh, i mean i can i can i can of course it's easier said than done but it's is it an action point uh, is it something towards some uh, uh, does it point towards some possible action i think that is a question uh, and then uh, when we look at um, uh, the example right now um, the the uh, current chief minister of Tamil Nadu has been for four years the mayor of Chennai directly elected in 96, uh, 96 2002 nine, oh, sorry 90 whatever uh, uh, four years or five years um, um, before he became the deputy CM he's also been the deputy CM for some time and recently uh, the, I mean or just around uh, end of this week or next week they are going to have the urban local elections in uh, Tamil Nadu. Um, it's it's going to it's going to be something of an experiment to see what can be done in a state like Tamil Nadu, for example. 
because of this <clears throat> likelihood of you know change which is going to happen and uh, i mean i'm just seeing the news that i mean just for uh, discussing the point about the 50% reservation further about um, women's reservation that there might be uh, the news is that or it may be a rumor yet but that there may be a dalit woman mayor for chennai in uh, in the uh, after the election so uh, <clears throat> the 50% reservation by the way is uh, from the one 110th amendment constitution 10th amendment uh, in 2009 which is talking about panchayats of course it is talking about 50% reservation for women in panchayats but i think based on that the urban one was also taken up by different uh, states including kerala and then it is now uh, in 14 states uh, like uh, amita was saying so i think uh, um i mean the the transformation of uh, representation and uh, uh, reservation is definitely happening uh, that 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 will have its own impact uh, maybe in the vision uh, uh, of how the city uh, uh, governments can uh, deal with certain disadvantaged and discriminated sections of society i hope that happens and of course maybe there is scope for working uh, working out uh you know some good analysis about the 65th amendment and maybe uh pushing for how demand should be created i think um, it is all about contestation it is all about contestation the centralization has to be strongly contested um um and the stronger the contestation comes from maybe states like tamil nadu and kerala but maybe even in other states um um has to be looked at um i think uh, um the real thing is about how to save uh, lives how to save human lives um and does the local government have any role in that then it becomes very very important then it becomes very very crucial like for example the coal, uh, sorry the um the the dc in uh, uh, one of the districts of maharashtra he set up these five uh, uh, oxygen plants uh, during the second wave of the uh, covid uh, i don't know if this was done by any local governments in any parts of any part of the country but um, he had some money left over from some other uh, some other purpose and he repurposed it for this uh, and so uh, to some extent i think uh, the the uh, second wave might have a lesser impact in in his district uh, which was drastic in most of the uh, rest of the country um so it's about saving lives i mean we have all these huge uh, um loss of lives which is happening both due to climate change heat waves cold waves um air pollution air pollution is a huge pandemic um, i mean we talk about environmental consciousness true but um it's like every part of the country is polluted beyond beyond uh, all the standards of who there is no place in the country which is remote enough to come under um, uh, you know the uh, below the air pollution standards so um if we look at uh, how to change this perception how to uh, bring about a local government how to transform this local body into the local government i think uh, both the 65th amendment the kerala uh, model as well as maybe to some extent uh, uh, the uh, so what is called 
in brazil i think maybe the organic uh, legislation um, i don't know whether it is um, that the municipal body can actually take up so uh, maybe these are these are some of the places that these are some of the action points that we could look at i thank you all for this opportunity uh, thanks thank you mr uh, thank you vinay for uh, raising some of the broader issues related to the functional domain and the issues related to genuine local autonomy and so on and so forth so i'm sure professor uh, vidya will respond to uh, all the points that our discussions are raising and let me now move over to uh, mr samir unale for your uh, comments yeah very good evening uh first of all i'm sorry i couldn't join the meeting uh, early i had to join late uh, so thank you for this opportunity empri i always find it important to take any opportunity of discussing uh, issues with urban uh, uh, areas in uh, with our academician friends because it always provides us a new perspective and also lead us to some uh, uh, newer understanding and uh, thank you empri for this opportunity of interaction so i i personally feel that you know the urban phenomena and the cities of today's cities are now getting extremely complex and i personally feel that uh, most of the academic discourse in uh, maybe urban issues is either of political scientist or of uh, architecture planning and i think that would be the my first missing link because i am try will try to view my uh, few points on that that other disciplines uh, do not really contribute you know to understanding this very complex phenomena uh, in uh, especially in indian cities when we see the uh, pace is so fast things are changing so fast and probably you know we need to have uh, all the disciplines uh, contributing uh, in its study it may be you know engineering it may be management it could be psychology it could be history it could be even literature so i think all the uh, fields all the disciplines needs to need to really come and contribute uh, in understanding and deciphering uh, the phenomena of you know uh, uh, urban india in especially the challenges that uh, we would be facing in uh, coming decades uh, uh, secondly it, it is an uh, it's an i'm just sharing an a thought actually it's not any research or anything but I always found you know that the data which is available uh, with the academic fraternity from the actually what is happening is uh, fairly less uh, because you know the way data is uh, i mean the way uh, of course the office files will always be there but the data that reaches the research uh, is bit less and you know i sometimes find that it's very often simplistic uh, conclusions out of that limited data that as a practitioner i found as someone who's working in the field for last two decades always found whenever i read any research papers on urban or municipal issues always found that it's a very simplistic sort of uh, uh, inference or you know that sometimes i have found it to be sort of a you know, template sort of uh, it's not a judgment on anybody's this thing but i mean that's my experience i thought i should be uh, sharing uh, that uh, i found that the sometimes the data is very simplistic sometimes the inferences are very you know uh, too monocausal <laughs> monocausal or unilinear so uh, uh, i always felt that what's happening in ground is probably not reaching uh, 
to the our academician friends, which ideally should be conceptualized properly. And in fact, there has to be a loop of information and knowledge sharing. You know, that would lead us to some better uh, better you know, understanding. So sometimes, you know, so uh, I felt a prejudice comes in. Sometimes, you know, the preset notions are there. Sometimes it's a template reproduction of certain ideas. So that's okay, but uh, probably uh, maybe such exercises of sharing uh, more information, more uh, experiences uh, should enrich the actual data that reaches uh, research and academic and actually helps the uh, both the academic field as well as the conceptualization of the practices. Uh, Thirdly, I felt that, you know, that uh, I mean, my, my first premise with, uh, was actually I'm not from political science background, so I may not be in a position to speak on that. But, uh, uh, and the first point I had made that uh, we require a multidisciplinary uh, I mean, approach for understanding uh, Indian cities. Uh, so, I mean, it might be a bit out of place, but in Indian, I mean, in uh, astronomy, that's my another hobby. Uh, we very time, currently we are using the multi-wavelength multi astronomy is what it is called, you know. So uh, when you are studying astronomical phenomena, you also take data from the uh, meter radio waves, from the infrared, from the visible spectrum, from the near, in, near ultraviolet, far ultraviolet, gamma rays and whatever. So, and even now in these days, the gravitational waves, this, which is a new concept coming into physics. So, uh, what we get is that uh, multiple perspectives of a sim single phenomena adds, adds into the richness of the data. And that's uh, what I feel has to also happen with urban. So, maybe when we are studying something, uh, all the disciplines ideally should take part of it. Of course, when we are talking of uh, urban India and uh, so 74th Constitution Amendment is also there. I, I joined a bit late, so I heard uh, Vinayji speaking on that also. <clears throat> but I, mean, uh, I've, I somehow feel you know, that uh, when we interact with the younger counselors or the younger boys you know, who are, are now <clears throat> into the uh, high activity of you know, city living, I mean, they always, uh, they are probably born uh, post-85. You know? So they are most post-85 generation. They are more into another you know, newer things. And somehow the I feel felt that the third missing link should be uh, we need uh, a newer, more contemporary uh, framework uh, uh, if we could really have that because uh, uh, the although the constitution amendment was passed in ninety four uh, it was the ethos was late eighties that's when the initial deliberations really happened and there were a lot of I recollect some big conferences were there in which the Panchati Raj as well as the our counselors interacted. So that, that's how the, so the <coughs> current uh, uh, framework is still uh, of late 80s. And maybe the third uh, link in that framework, uh, I think could be uh, having a more contemporary uh, issues to be reflected, uh, uh, still getting stuck up uh, in, uh, uh, because uh, in Indian, urban India of 1980 is different than urban India of 2020. I think that's a, a reality that we will have to accept and probably uh, we require some newer concepts also to be brought in into, into the uh, urban uh, issues. Uh, maybe, of course, I mean, that's, uh, I've always felt that somehow uh, we cannot, uh, I mean, uh, I won't say the word reduce, but we can't reduce some citizens only for voting once in five years or paying tax one in, once a year. 
and uh, so for the entire primacy of uh, the political you know theory and power and uh, all those things yes it is definitely mentioned in the constitution is a part of it but the current india young india wants to just not be constrained by that and therefore these aspirations also need to reflect into the uh, any deliberations or discussions uh, that we are taking into uh fifth uh, missing link uh, or not uh, area i think i should uh, was also mentioned earlier in a broader framework i thought from 2005 onwards india entered into the uh, missions uh, era so to say of urban india in which uh, uh, from jnnurm we had uh, missions coming up which later uh, probably branched out into swachh bharat into rudhay into amrut yojana into smart city into maybe uh, i think uh, PMAY and maybe also the National Urban Livelihood Mission. So apparently, close to we are on six missions which are <coughs> working for past uh, five to uh, six years. So probably uh, when uh, we really look at it, uh, I personally feel that the spirit of cooperative federalism does interplay in which each level of government is trying to put its pitch to uh, resolve the issues of the problems. because uh, maybe i i call it sometimes a post colonial stress disorder when you talk of indian society and indian economy that was anyway for more than 200 years the uh, colonial imperial powers uh, took out wealth out of india and therefore we were left at a such a uh, poor stage that all aspects of our social life you know uh, were uh, adversely affected and that's we are now trying to pick up with taking all wealth so of course the issue of devolution and an empowerment and of course this this issues probably a political scientist would be in a better position to speak about it but when i see as a practically when we are experiencing this issue that we are getting best out of each level which is coming together uh, in team spirit maybe cooperative federalism and resolving the issues of the people which is also equally important because uh, in fact uh, the news i think the swachh bharat 2.0 is coming and an amrut 2.0 has also been announced i think the last budget uh, with i think the financial allocation if you look at it i think it's maybe uh, total allocation i am i am not very sure of the figures but i am won't be surprised if we will be around at is 5 lakh crores of all the missions put together for next 5 years of course so this amount of uh, this kind of money coming into the uh, municipal bodies and looking into the practicalities and practical realities of the 5 4 1/2000 odd citizen towns spread over india with various all the geographical variations and all the socio economic variations there making something happen at a go requires cooperative federalism in that framework i feel that uh, this as a experiment would be in a better shape to you know give uh, <clears throat> results to the people finally at the ground because uh, <clears throat> people are ground want things to happen things to improve things to change and in that sense if uh, everybody is coming together i think uh, there shouldn't be any issues with it i think the sixth uh, missing link which i have felt uh, of course is the financial issues uh, the financial uh, uh, framework that we have i think a uh, uh, little aspect on the constitutional uh, framework as we know is the urban uh, municipalities if that's the word is used in constitution is very much a state subject so if a central government has to take part in any issue which is a which which is a state subject it normally does through a centrally sponsored team which actually now is called as missions so i think this peculiarity always also reason why we are seeing many missions in uh, are uh, are coming up 
and probably uh, putting a part to uh, uh, bring out some uh, positive changes at a speed with which we want. Because we always said that the essence of mission is speed. We always had programs and projects earlier, but what differentiates them with missions is the ability to make impact in least possible time. As I said, because the lag, time lag of this post-colonial stress disorder that uh, a society in India was. Uh, so I think financially uh, issues, of course, uh, the taxes which are available essentially are the state uh, taxes which state delegates to the uh, municipal bodies <coughs> as per our current framework. Uh, probably the uh, financial strengths, uh, I don't have the exact figures, unfortunately, but uh, of earlier courses which I had done, uh, I recollect reading that the uh, concept I was introduced to was the fiscal imbalance in which the tax collection by the various levels of government gives uh, that percentage uh, is different and what is available with the urban local bodies now is very, very small. And therefore, uh, the way uh, GST framework, you know, uh, we had this GST framework with the state and the center are now sharing the, uh, the, the taxation powers of all raving them and also uh, the council actually, you know, the GST council actually you know, uses that. Uh, maybe uh, as uh, we had also shared it earlier, that the urban local bodies, at least the bigger ones, could be given some uh, uh, some share out of that directly when the tax is collected. Like you know, in Mumbai, of course, uh, or Chennai, or you know, even the bigger urban local bodies, Calcutta, Hyderabad, Bengaluru, and other. Probably the economic activity is so strong there that uh, the uh, the root of money coming through the uh, finance commission or through the other sources maybe. Uh, this uh, could really be tried into the way uh, maybe uh, at source they would be getting because uh, uh, apart from property tax and maybe apart from our water charges or maybe here in the development charges as we call it here in Maharashtra of the real estate development by builders and uh, well, the, the advertisement charges and estate duties which are there, the sources are fairly limited. And the challenges that we are facing, one option could be there. I think our friend uh, also mentioned that some municipalities are uh, elsewhere outside India also collect uh, income taxes. I think, uh, of course, that's a very big issue because the uh, maybe we would require another round of uh, very deep uh, constitutional amendments for that, for the local bodies also to some extent sharing uh, the tax income directly. But probably uh, that time I somehow feel is coming nearer and maybe we would require uh, some thinking there. Uh, another, I think the seven missing link which I had in my mind is that taxes cannot be the only source of income for urban local bodies. We have to get out of the traditional concept of handling a city and move towards newer innovations. Those innovations of course, there will always be a doubt about any innovation. There will always be some uh, some mistakes might be there, some shortcomings might be there. But uh, handling the urban uh, India of 2030, 2040, I think just by a traditional concept which emerged 200 years back, I think is going to be you know, a bit out of tune. And uh, uh, we shouldn't hesitate in experimenting or we shouldn't you know, uh, hesitate in innovation and trying out new ideas. Especially, of course, the uh, maybe those who uh, uh, people with finance background normally say that the uh, newer uh, instruments of raising taxes or maybe uh, funds, I won't say, I won't say it's taxes, but apart from tax and grant, uh, local bodies actually have nothing with them. 
one force of course is there that you have greater tax, you have greater devolution. Of course, that's there. But handling a city just by a municipality is a myth as of now, even as of now. I think we would be putting too much of, you know, uh, too much of uh, ideological romanticism into the notions of uh, whatever, but realities are different now. Realities, if you want to handle a city, you require, I mean, too many things are coming in there. And believe me, uh, if you look at the ground realities, we require more and more people, more and more agencies to come together. I don't see this as a zero-sum game. Urban in managing urban India cannot be seen as a zero-sum game. It has to be a variable-sum game where all stakeholders will be coming. That would be the missing link now, and that I believe could be a way forward for what we are looking. Uh, and the eight missing link and the final one, I think I exceeded back because uh, not being into academics, I'm unable to, you know, <laughs> I'm not very organized probably in, in my th thoughts or maybe delivering them. But uh, the final uh, thought I had in my mind as far as the missing link uh, clue was concerned was that uh, uh, the lot of uh, international cooperation is happening among the cities. And then you, you of course, uh, there are very, there could be various perspectives of that. Namely, that you know there are various city networks coming. There is a lot of international philanthropies or multilaterals or CSRs or all those people coming together and contributing in their way in the managing of the cities. Maybe there are maybe they they have their own priorities which may not be perceived as the priority of the people here or maybe the political leadership. But I think we are seeing more and more international collaboration which is happening. And I think that's a good thing which is happening. There will be greater things to learn. In fact, I might share experience that during the, uh, the earlier uh, first year of the pandemic, uh, out of our, our internal you know, relations or maybe friendship, we had tried to create a, a framework in which the cities of Latin America, people working in Africa and Asia, maybe from Philippines, Malaysia, India, uh, and of course, Latin America, we had Mexico, Brazil, and Argentina. Cities from this interacted informally. And uh, the actual mid-level workers, you know, so we interacted the medical officer of Mumbai with maybe medical officer of uh, Mexico or, uh, or such people. So uh, these interactions really uh, was uh, gave us a good uh, insight that a lot of cities have to learn from each other, irrespective of their financial, of their geographical, and of their uh, maybe social conditions, they obviously would be different. So we obviously cannot compare Siberian city with the Saharan city that's there. But the mid-level functionaries, the, the people, maybe the junior engineer there, maybe the sanitary inspector there, maybe the uh, other medical doctor, these mid-level functionaries who are actually, who actually run the municipality. I mean, we tend to focus more on the politicians or the senior bureaucrats like the commissioner or the mayor. Yes, they are important, but the actual city is run by the mid-level people. And this international collaboration, which was there, which, uh, which people really like, they exchange their thoughts. And maybe so the greater missing, also a missing link, and not greater, but a missing link, which I feel in current uh, urban context, is also a greater need of you know, uh, encouraging uh, international collaborations and uh, experience sharing and learning from each other. Uh, the international consensus that has emerged and evolved, maybe you know, uh, it was Habitat 3 we had in, I think, 2015, uh, 2016. Uh, then uh, prior to that, we had the Paris. Uh, we have now we talk of SDGs. We talk of, uh, uh, we talk of uh, the uh, Habitats are smart, resilient, sustainable, safe cities. And so this international uh, uh, 
uh, consensus that is emerging, the interest of the uh, maybe multilaterals and philanthropists into the cities, I think is a uh, needs to be you know properly captured uh, and maybe uh, enabled and so that the cities uh, and the citizens and the various stakeholders in the cities also are in position to you know engage with each other and uh, maybe take the uh, levels of you know into this interactions and learnings uh, which are there. Uh, to uh, more better and effective and higher level. So, uh, uh, so that was, I think, a very limited uh, points I had. So I think I hope I won't exceeded my limit. Uh, as I couldn't, uh, I'm also sorry for you know coming up and in and out because uh, uh, couldn't uh, join early. So that's okay. But uh, uh, again, thank you, Imri, for the opportunity of sharing thoughts uh, with our friends. It's always important to learn and always important to share the experiences and. Uh, uh, look for uh, greater such opportunity of interactions. So, so thank you, uh, uh, sir. Uh, thank you very much for this opportunity. So thank you. Thank you, Mr. Unale. There are many issues which have cropped up and uh, it's uh, now over to Professor Vide for your response to all the points which have been raised so far. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Somya. Uh, no, I, I, I don't think I'll take much time. Uh, but I think uh, uh, Matthew had a very interesting and a very incisive way of even structuring the thoughts uh, around the presentation um, into the what's and why's and uh, whatever. And I think, uh, yes, identified the core issue well. How do we envisage our local governments? And uh, I do think we, that is the core which I really try to touch. And I don't think he, uh, in some ways he, we are really clear about our templates linked to that. Um, I would perhaps also like to link it to uh, Mr. Unale's comments on the disciplinary gaps. Okay? Uh, so one clarification, Mr. Unale, that I am not a political scientist at all. Uh, <laughs> and uh, anyway. But I think the city is all about politics as well, because politics enters a whole lot of different domains. So if decentralization has to do with uh, politics, then my argument would be that it is not about politics alone, but at the same time, you can't deny the political part of it. Uh, uh, and also whether the disciplinary gaps exist uh, even within how municipal administration is structured, right? Uh, so the IS officer, for example, today is supposed to be an encapsulation of all disciplines or just knows administration as given perhaps mostly by colonial laws and trying to implement it in rapidly changing context. I mean, that's the question that I think all of us need to engage with as well. Uh, in terms of whether top-down decentralization, uh, whether it works and is that perhaps the real reason for non-implementation, I think is an important question. Uh, though I would feel one should perhaps also compare it with uh, why has it worked to a certain extent, I would say, in rural uh, areas. Uh, so perhaps I think doing these kind of back and forth exercises is the critical way in which to perhaps move further. Um, on Vinay, uh, thanks Vinay for several suggestions that you've made. I think I would use the same frame that Matthew has used in terms of what, why. 
and i think most of uh, vinay's points are largely to do with what ought to be and how do we do it and i think the templates that you have suggested about tamil nadu about kerala about going back and reviewing the 65th constitutional amendment about also learning from brazilian cities are interesting uh, in some ways they expand the scope of the what but i do think that the most critical questions are not about the what but uh, about the what of local government in the future and uh, how does one even move there okay uh, or think about proximacy etc etc but thanks for those uh, suggestions vinay uh, as well uh, i actually don't wish to engage much with what dr samir unhai talked because i think uh, the i mean uh, like i agree with some of the conclusions that he's talking about but i don't think some of them pertained with the talk at all because i think the essence of the talk was actually about what has happened post the 74th amendment and how do we need to revisit uh, the templates of urban governance um, and i definitely would perhaps uh, uh, think that uh, administrative expertise uh, in uh, urban governance is a view that perhaps uh, requires much lesser consideration in the contemporary times and we need to go beyond it perhaps uh, uh, and go beyond a bureaucratic view i would say and make it much more as a societal view uh, society at large needs to decide on what should be the template of uh, urban government as we move forward uh, and perhaps i would just stop there so thank you thank you professor i'm just saying professor mohalaya chatterjee is here so if you just want to share any of your thoughts uh, just quick maybe i could not resist myself yes <laughs> because of uh, my old friend amita spoke so well i could not resist myself i just raised two points though it was about governing the city i would raise just two points about this 74th amendment and what can we look at future i think one of the deficiencies amita has also talked is that the 74th amendment did not consider the parastatals at all though the parastatals started being there from uh, late uh, late 50s Hmm. they are almost there for 30 years but uh, somehow while framing this 73rd and both 74th uh, the, uh, the the framers forgot about parastatals so we just don't know what they thought about the linking the parastatals with the urban local bodies and uh, what would be there but that advantage was taken by uh, if you think of that that just after the 74th amendment the major program was the jawaharlal nehru urban uh, renewal mission and that was again put on the so called parastatals they planned uh, as uh, i also agree with amita the consultant age has arrived with the jawaharlal nehru urban renewal mission so the third part of the 74th amendment that is urban planning which was supposed to be done by the urban local bodies went totally missing totally missing they uh, they were nowhere in the picture 
the all the urban local bodies for this Jawaharlal Nehru Urban Renewal Mission, they are asked to uh, follow what the consultants had to say and say, and there are no people's voice, nothing. Hmm. That is one of the big deficiencies. And that takes me to the second point, that is what happened to the planning function, which was designated to the urban local bodies by the 74th amendment, the what happened to the so-called metropolitan planning committees, what happened to the district planning committees. The district planning committees were very unique in the sense that they combined the rural and urban part, and that would lead to a different notion of settlement planning, but nothing happened. Nothing happened. What followed Jawaharlal Nehru Urban Mission, what we are having today, Amrut, Sachavarat, etc., etc. Everything a so-called consultant uh, give this thing, and uh, the local bodies are given to execute it. Mm -hmm. uh, that's all. So when Anonarai writes, why uh, Indians cannot plan their own towns, uh, the only answer is because they are not allowed. <laughs> Uh, they are not allowed, they are just given to follow. And uh, given our structure, the state finance commissions, they are appointed, they give their recommendations, but finally, again, they are left with the begging bowls and others. So this is a big deficiency. And if you look at this, uh, I can say from my experience of West Bengal, after the change of guard, what is happening, that is no, uh, no, the effort of municipalization, but wherever possible, a new development authority is being created. It may be in a small religious place called Tarapit. It may be in the birthplace of Ishuchandra Bittashagur. Wherever you go, you find there is a new, <laughs> new development authority. So this is something if we now think of rethink about 74th amendments, its impact on the last 30 years and what would happen, we would have to rethink this part that what would happen to urban planning? That thank you and thank for giving me the chance. Thank you, thank you, uh, Professor Chatterjee. And it's over to Professor Vidhi because we are already learning late. So if you want to uh, respond to uh, Professor Chatterjee's comment, uh, no, actually I don't want to, but I think she has highlighted one of the important gaps and uh, perhaps also added to the reasons in some ways how we keep on repeating the same mistakes right and so again the observation that it is not being implemented one is moving very far from it okay but we still need to collectively find answers to why right and perhaps even thinking about are our cities i mean definitely there is a top-down attempt therefore maybe it has not worked but is there any signs, any symptoms of a uh, demand which is bottom up for decentralization that seems to be rising. Because I think we should also get over these kind of templates of Kerala mein hota hai. I don't think that is also going to serve us uh, in the future with the kind of patterns of urbanization that we are seeing. So, okay, thank you, thank you. And uh, just to take this discussion forward and uh, since we have a way forward round so let me just again go back to our panelists for a minute uh, uh, for their final thoughts so let's start with matthew yeah no, i i don't want to take uh, too much time just just a couple of points i think that have come in uh one is i think as amita said uh, we can't just go by models i think and and if and this famed kerala model i mean i'm originally from kerala and all of that but 
um, if you look at uh, you know if if you look at the recent uh, you know publication that has come out by suraj jacob and babu jacob a bureaucrat and an academic writing together uh, which compared kerala with tamil nadu and gujarat the, the picture is not very positive actually in terms of local urban local governments sort of uh, you know ability to do things so so I, and 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 honestly the question is is, is this uh, i mean the 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 that top down may not always work is well known but uh, what are the ways to 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 reimagine uh, and i i do think that um, uh, you know uh, my, my sense is someone who's been looking from a very 74th amendment centric lens so far i i do think we might need to sort of i mean obviously uh, adhere to it but also think of uh, ideas with you know uh, not by purely sort of quoting and restating the same stuff but uh, but 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 how does that 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 emerge and 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 that is the the, the larger question the what ought to be done we mostly agree about we need participation democracy all of that decentralization subsidiarity all the principles are broadly i think in agreement but how do we do it and and i i do think unless there is actual push at a political level right that whether you have social movements and political i mean vinay spoke about the workers party in 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 brazil who actually came about and and allowed that city statute to emerge of course now all of it is being undone by bolsonaro you know right now but it was a, it, it wasn't something that just you know okay you know there's rajiv gandhi envisioned and and it has to be done after his death it didn't come out as some sort of sympathetic sort of appeal to authority there was a political push so i i do think unless there is civil society actually engages with politics and pushes it uh, you know we will just keep talking the same stuff about you know lamenting as amita said lamenting the lack of implementation and and uh, think of ways of engaging actually in politics and and sometimes maybe not even think of big reforms uh, think of you know little battles of of making sure that people's access is met in in various ways and allowing systems and processes that allow that and and i think that's the way to go i mean i don't i usually don't want to take a very prescriptive lens but but basically allowing things to happen i'm not saying this should happen but creating mechanisms where conversation and you know processes are you know it allows for some of these things to happen so i i will just keep it there and keep it broad i mean i don't want to say this is the thing to do that's it thanks So thanks, thanks, Mehbub. So it seems that still these how parties uh, still remain uh, very broad qu- uh, questions, questions of policy, I mean, questions for the policymakers. So it's over to the Vinay. Vinay, if uh, so, your uh, your your thoughts maybe in a minute, minute or so. Yeah. So I just want to add a couple of uh, uh, recent examples. Of course, a uh, lot has been discussed already about the Odisha land. Uh, Uh, uh to the slum dwellers um, uh you know that they they calling it a mission um they are also dealing with it at the state level and there are elections coming of course a few um, a couple of years down the line but uh, punjab also uh, punjab is already going through elections so i think uh, we need to really see this is what i was saying about the perception in the case of uh, i mean the example is not well known but in bbmp in the city uh, government that we have in bangalore uh, the bangalore government initiated a similar process for 
having uh, land to the people who live live on it in in slums in certain government uh, land and they announced a government order and a notification was issued etc etc but in this the epidemic of centralization came in the way the jnnurm model mission said we will fund uh, housing but we will not fund land um and um, the housing model took over the uh, 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 land titles issue so i think another issue for example now uh, again go back to tamil nadu is the um, i mean if you look at uh, uh, social justice sort of uh, forum um, multi state social justice forum that uh, the tamil nadu cm has announced now i don't know whether it is actually going to um uh, really uh, look at concrete is issues regarding social justice but social justice is one of the topics of um uh, the 74th amendment uh, social justice as well as uh, um, economic justice uh, i mean um, economic development so i think we need to really see as uh, a, a movement like this as coming halfway halfway forward Uh, and does does civil society have a adequate response does civil society have an appropriate response and can we do something at either a state level or this multi state forum whatever uh, whatever shape it takes it's in the early stages now uh, last point is on the um, announcement by the um, former cm of uh, up um, what is his name uh, akhilesh yadav in his manifesto yesterday he has announced an urban employment guarantee in his manifesto now at the state level um, i think um, kerala already has a mission like this uh, is there some support is there some uh, workers uh, you know collectives or unions or whatever forms of association that can be uh, you know taking this as a halfway measure uh of course the elections are still to happen and we never know what exactly comes uh, uh, at the end of a month but this is a move now uh, political thinking might change political uh, thinking at the topmost level might change um and we need to think of this as a change uh, to some extent maybe some uh, small things to gra grasp on um uh, when we look at social justice because otherwise there is no uh, real scope Uh, where the social justice and economic development is really going to uh, be be uh, actually practiced actually achieved or actually realized in some uh, mm, some some cities and some some places um um uh, urban or rural i think i mean the the the, the form uh, if you are looking at the future the form is definitely going to change and uh, the, the 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 flexibility that is required both on the Uh, state governments on the civil society and as well as the local governments is much more um and uh, maybe that flexibility is possible if uh, the civil society creates this demand <clears throat> thank you thank you thank you vinay for your uh, this comments and uh, it's over to mr unal if you are there uh, if you could please just make some of your observation within a minute uh, are you there no sir is not here it seems okay so 
So, so, so finally, over to you, uh, Professor Vidya, for your final uh, comments. If you have, if you want to make any, ma'am, please to, unmute yourself. Just to wrap it up. Please unmute yourself. I don't really have any final conclusive comments as that. Okay, but I do think he uh, perhaps. Uh, as impri, as civil society, as academia, as bureaucracies, and as a political society as well. We all need to engage with the question of what should be our frame of governing cities and smaller towns. Because there is no doubt that urbanization, a different form of urbanization maybe, is where we are coming to. Uh, and that our past scripts are not working. So this is a question of a very, very serious public discourse uh, which is required. And I do hope that uh, IMPRI will engage with it in this manner. And there will be much more uh, uh, debates and uh, on the various aspects which are linked to other governments. That's all. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Professor Vid. And I'm sure that we at IMPRI will be able to uh, take these issues uh, for much greater deliberation and discussion. I'm sorry for not being able to uh, keep my videos on just because of internet issues, and I'm not able to hear all of you properly. So anyway, so I think overall today's discussion provides uh, enough food for thought for uh, rethinking, rather, I should say, re-envisaging the local governments following uh, the 74th Constitution Amendment Act. And establishing a genuinely empowered city government in India. So once again, on behalf of the uh, Center for uh, 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 Charts at the IMPRI, we, uh, I uh, uh, am thankful to all the uh, participants and thankful to Professor Amita Vide and thankful to all the other panelists, uh, Dr. Matthew Udikula, Mr. Vinay Vaindur, Mr. Samir Unhale, Professor Mohalaya Chatterjee, and all the participants who have uh, joined this particular city conversation series and also who have joined who are watching this particular uh, city conversation series uh, live on Facebook and other online platforms and uh, uh, also we hope to have your presence in our future city conversation series as well so once again thank you thank you very much for attending this uh, particular city conversation series we look forward to your presence in near future as well thank you Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. 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 Thanks, Thanks to all the discussants. Thank you, Dr. Arjun, Dr. Samradhi. Thank you. And all Thank you for giving me the chance. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to all of you. Good Thanks. Day.